0: But now I'm worried about my garage being cluttered because I'm like, okay, so am I cluttered because I have emotional trauma or am I cluttered because I want to kill my cat? Like, you know what I mean? Like now I'm, now I'm concerned now I'm scared.
1: Um, probably not because you want to kill your cat. It's probably <laughs> because you have emotional trauma. It's, it's I mean, soci- being a sociopath is just a different level of mental illness, right, and mental health. We all have mental illness of some sort at one degree or another. We all have trauma, right? Mm-hmm. I will talk about big trauma, and big T trauma and little T trauma. I talk about that quite a bit, right? Big T traumas are like being molested and abused. And you know, but there's little T traumas too. Like having your parent forget to pick you up from school or be 10 minutes late picking you up from school. That's a trauma that will have an impact.
0: Hello friend, you're listening to The Edited for Content Show, a place where we try to understand a topic by extracting truth from theater. If you like this podcast, let me know, share it, and come back again. Webster defines feng shui as a Chinese geometric practice in which a structure or site is chosen or configured as so it harmonizes with the spiritual forces that inhabit it. The reconfiguration required in Feng Shui can come in many different forms. For some, it is as simple as moving a chair or changing the color of a wall. One's life can be reconfigured as well. This usually comes in the form of trauma. When I saw my guest's story, I wanted to know more about her process for performing Life Feng Shui. I wanted to understand how she took the destruction of her own life and turned it into a harmonization with the spiritual forces around her. My guest took years of trauma and abuse and turned it into a revolutionary mind body program to help those feng shui more than just a living space. I want to welcome my guest, Crystal Holm. Crystal, thank you for coming on my show.
1: Thank you for having me. It's great to be here.
0: Oh, it's great to have you. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Um, so First and foremost, are you still living in Minnesota or are you from Minnesota?
1: Um, I'm originally from there. I haven't lived in Minnesota since 1998. Um, I spent a couple of months there this past winter uh, with my grandmother um, during COVID. Um, I spent a couple of months with her, but nope, I haven't lived in Minnesota for a long time. <laughs> I, will,
0: I have family in Minnesota. That's why I'm like, I'm like, but I always think it's interesting when people are from, like, born in Minnesota. No matter where they move, they'll always be like, no, 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 I'm from Minnesota. Like, you could live <laughs> somewhere else for like thirty, forty years. It's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm from Minnesota. I'm, I'm staying here,
1: but I'm actually from
0: Minnesota. And I think that's a very Midwest thing.
1: I think so. I usually only tell people that I'm from Colorado because I've lived in Colorado since. For such a long time. So, I almost never say that I'm originally from Minnesota. So, that's so funny. you given up. But, oh,
0: my, I can't believe it. Did you lose <laughs> the accent? Is the question.
1: Yeah, I don't really have mm-hmm. one. I don't think I've. I have a couple words maybe that'll come out and you might hear it in an O here and there. But for the most part, yeah, I don't really have much of an accent. Do you, <laughs> do
0: you use the word, do you use the term smidgen?
1: I don't think so. Yeah. That's my that's
0: my favorite and that was um growing up when like relatives were cooking measure that was a measurement. Mm-hmm. I I couldn't tell you what it is, but that's an actual measurement and there's actually recipes I have that have that written in.
1: Mm-hmm. I've seen them. I have I I couldn't tell you how much it is either, but I do know how much to put in when it calls for <laughs> a spit. <sentence. laughs> yeah,
0: you know, you're ahead of me. Um yeah, I just I thought that was such an interesting, very Minnesota thing, you know. So <laughs> so growing up there, um, you know, what was that, you know, kind of how long did you live there and, and and growing up there, what was that like?
1: Cold. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I lived there until, well, when I was, I lived there until I was a teenager and I moved to Colorado. And then I moved back and graduated from high school and was there until my 20s and moved away. Um, but I, I kind of had a pretty miserable childhood. And I think everything about Minnesota is related to that for me um you know i grew up in a very abusive household um when i was 8 my parents got a divorce and um shortly thereafter my dad moved to colorado and both of my parents remarried um my my mother remarried a pedophile and a child abuser and i actually told her before they got married and i gave her an ultimatum that it was me or him And um, she chose him.
0: How old were you? I was nine. Oh, wow. Okay.
1: And so I kind of decided then and there that I would never be like her. And I started looking for other role models uh, then Mm -hmm. um, for how to be, how, how to be a woman, how to be a mom, how to be everything, right? That wasn't like that, and so then my dad remarried and um and so I would get to go to Colorado every summer and spend the summer with my dad and my stepmom and my stepmom became my idol really. Mm. She was the one who introduced me to energy work, magic. Um she had grown up um uh, in her life, she had spent a lot of time with a gypsy family as she was growing up. She had married into a gypsy family and learned all of this energy work from there. And so she had taught me all of these things about magic and divination and um, all of these metaphysical things that I was infatuated with. And at the time, I was living in this abusive situation, and at 9, you know, nine, 10, 11 years old, Magic seemed like a great solution. <laughs> like it seemed like it seemed like the only solution. To be honest, right? Like nothing was going to fix it, and unless a miracle occurred, mm-hmm. and or until I turned eighteen, <laughs> right? Even um, even when I was supposed to move there, I was supposed to move there. I think the court says eleven or twelve that you can you can decide which parent. And shortly before that happened, I had I had written a book. Um, about, uh, it, it was about being molested, really. It, it was an expression of this sexual thing, right? It was about a cheerleader being gang banged by the whole football team. And so my mother found it and shared it with my aunt and the two of them decided that it must be my father who is molesting me. And so they wouldn't let me go there. And so I d- couldn't actually move there until I turned 14, um, And then I was able to escape for a few years and live with my dad until, you know, my mom made me move back in. But I had such an infatuation already for this idea of being able to manifest the life that I want magically. Um, And so that was something I always studied, um, even into adulthood. Um, And, and that sort of, when I got to college, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which I didn't, I went back to college in my thirties, right? I I was told a lot that I was too stupid for college. I was too dumb to be really anything more than um, a wife and mother. And so I better quick snag me a man and have some kids. And, and so I had two kids by the time I was 19 and, you know, I spent my twenties kind of being a mom. And then in Mm -hmm. my thirties, I went back to school and, And so I was studying interior design in school and um, my psychology teacher Mm -hmm. wanted us to write a paper about interior design and psychology. Like the two had to be related. It had to be with our field of study, right? There was other studies there too, Mm -hmm. right? Culinary students, graphic. So everybody had to pick something in their field of study and write a psychology paper on it. So that was sort of my approach to feng shui. That was when I first was introduced to feng shui. Was in college in my psychology paper. And, you know, it had only been westernized not too long before, like five or six years before it had become into popularity in the United States. And so I didn't know a lot about it, but I knew it was sort of related to energy and 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 so I, I took off and, and studied it for my class to write a paper and yeah I found that was <laughs> way beyond <laughs> too confusing to think I understood it at first. So I actually let it go when I first started okay. doing feng shui. I mean it was a thing that I was interested in, but I didn't feel like I had a grasp on it right away. And so I, I finished my design degree and started my career as a designer. Okay. And then it was as uh, a few years into my career as a designer and I was living in Hawaii. um, And my boss came to me with, we had submitted the design back to a client and the feng shui was wrong. (laughs) And so um, the feng shui was bad. And so she was like, does anybody know anything about feng shui? Can anybody help? And so (laughs) I kind of volunteered myself to fix it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I took, but little bit of knowledge I gained from my one quarter study of, you know, all the books in college. And I was like, let me see if I can do this. And, um, yeah, then yeah, that I really, really, what got in over my head. I felt like, like I felt like a full imposter when I was doing it. So then I went back to study feng shui at, the the american feng shui institute um, (laughs) the
0: the project must have come out all right though i mean
1: i got an a on it but you know it's funny because like i said it had only been popular for about six years Mm -hmm. um in the united states at that time and so all these people all these experts were writing Mm -hmm. books but you know None of them really knew what they were talking about. And so there was all this misinformation. Like I'd read one book that would say one thing and another book that would say the exact opposite. And I was like, why is this so confusing? But I was such a type A perfectionist because of the way I'd grown up with, you don't ever make mistakes. Mm -hmm. You don't ever make mistakes in the house I grew up in. Like that's punishable severely. So I was going to get an A on that paper You know, so I checked out like a two foot tall stack of books and took them home. It was 11 weeks, you know, like it was, I thought I was going to learn everything there is to know about feng shui in that 11 weeks.
0: (laughs) It's an 11 week course. I will know it all.
1: (laughs) Self-study program. Right. You know, so I can write a good paper. But I think I've always kind of been, it was sort of a natural thing since I've been studying humans since I was little Mm -hmm. as a, how do I become who I want to be? Like, how do I become the, the someone that I can admire and respect and be proud to be? Mm -hmm. Um, And just trying to find how to be that, you know, try to find a role model. So it was sort of a, almost like psychology was a study for fun, but never a, you know, but never like a, career thing it was more like just the study of people right that it was my thing sort of growing up I guess
0: so you talked about your stepmother and yeah. this kind of this magical energy so kind of then what is feng shui and how does that tie into energy like what is feng shui
1: well feng shui is really just a study, mm-hmm. right? It's a, it's a sort of a science of that you study the flow of energy in space, right? That you study your relationship with your environment. Um, we all have an energetic frequency, and so do the spaces that we live in. And sometimes those energetic frequencies are in alignment, and sometimes they clash. And so Feng Shui is really just studying how the energy flows in your space and what your relationship with is with that space is how are you cluttering it up um because it is um it's sort of an extension of our energetic field Mm -hmm. right it's the box that we live in and it's the container that holds all of our stuff so it reflects us right it reflects that's kind of why we decorate, right? We want it to reflect all these things, but it also will reflect all of what's going on internally for us, as well as what's going on externally for us, like say in our career or our relationships or our finances or our health, um, but also our mental health and our limiting beliefs. And so feng shui is, All of that Mm -hmm. tied into one big package.
0: Wow. Okay. So yeah. No, you're right. And I think that, I think that my in my life. I mean, obviously, I don't, obviously, I don't have any eleven weeks of formal training. But um, (laughs) in my life, I think that I've always had problems with because I'm a guy and Mm -hmm. like furniture. I'm going to use the living room, right? I can literally get it through my entire life with one recliner in the center of the room. (laughs) Um, And then I got married. And no. So, like, we have, like, a picture wall and we have these different pieces of furniture and we have pillows that are not designed to lay on. They're just a pillow that's supposed to mean something in a corner of of a couch or a love seat or whatever the case may be. And I think that it does feel different mm-hmm. um and i think that's kind of the trap y'all have because the sooner that that you can get in there and redecorate and make it a, a more livable space or a more a space with better energy that's the trap because then we feel like it's home because it's this whole like home-like mm-hmm. feel thing and then we're like okay having around isn't so bad but you, there is a there is something to that. I think there is something to having the right thing in a space. I don't possess that gift, and I'll suffer through it because I won't pay attention. But there is a huge difference when something just fits the way mm-hmm. it's supposed to. Yes, and that's amazing.
1: Yes. yes,
0: you know it really is. It's it's you know amazing to me that that's a thing in the universe um when you first went out on your own um like what was your design or kind of what was your goals or or before you did feng shui were you designing things or were you just like how did that come about this this passion for design i guess
1: Well, I've always sort of had that, right? I mean, even when I was, even when I was little, my favorite toy was my Barbie dream house, right? I would just spend hours rearranging the furniture in the Barbie dream house. But also one of the few freedoms that I had when I was younger was the freedom to sort of decorate my space and rearrange my furniture. Um, And so it's sort of always been a thing. I was always rearranging my furniture. As a teenager, I was always the friend that would get the phone call, like, "Let's rearrange," or "Let's paint my room," or "Let's do that." You know, that was sort of always part of my thing. So when I went, when I decided to go back to college, becoming a designer was was a very natural choice. Strangely, I had a debate between becoming an interior designer or becoming a forensic psychologists that specialized in serial killers. Um, those were the two career paths that I was going to take. <laughs> like, yeah, very closely related. And strangely enough, it's, it, they both show up in the work that I do. Not that I work with serial killers, but psych, the psychology of clutter is a lot of the work that I do with my clients. Oh. Um, and so it, it wasn't that far off. Um, but I've always had a very, a, a, you know, I grew up with a sociopath and so, you know, like I grew up with people that are very similar to the psychopathy of serial killers. So it's not that strange that I would have this fascination as an adult, um, but I still had this love of interior design. And so when I went into it, that 11 week class, that psychology class really sparked an interest that sent me back to school again, you know, Mm -hmm. later to really dive into it. And when it, when that wasn't enough, like I dove in deeper into the clutter part of it and the psychology part of it on my own to really, because after that, after that one client that wanted her feng shui fixed and I um, started studying it in depth, I started taking on my own clients And working with them to be able to do the feng shui of their house to get a specific result. I had started, you know, sort of on on this other parallel journey of healing all the trauma that I had grown up with. And so one of the things I had always wanted was my own business. And so I started a couple of them. On the second business opportunity that Mm. I had the the man that ran that company was very into personal development he felt like it was the key component to building a business and so he had he incorporated that sort of training into his business model and so as i i was i was had sort of been introduced to it and i'd been following it and i at the same time that i started studying feng shui in depth i also started doing more of a personal development journey, going to seminars and different experiences to heal all of that trauma. And all of that combined together to sort of guide me down this very specific path towards where I ended up. And then along the way, I, I, um, I hurt myself, Um, on on my job, and uh, I couldn't walk anymore. <laughs> and so I, I um, I started my own company, <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, oh, I wasn't doing. I, I didn't really know what I was doing. I'd tried a few companies, and at least I knew to hire a coach this time. You know, mm-hmm. like I I couldn't I couldn't work. I was on bed rest, so I sort of had. I wasn't trying to do it as a side hustle. You know, right. like when I started studying feng shui in college and I started taking on clients, you know, I, I I worked with all of these women and I would, you know, hear all this feedback from them, but I was still trying to work my job and and have you know do all of the things. So I couldn't really do just the one thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And and so when I got hurt and I was stuck on bed rest. I just, I couldn't do anything but sit at home all day and, and go to doctor's appointments when I, when I got to go. Um, and so it seemed like the perfect time to really start my business. Like, why not? I'm stuck at home. I don't have anything else to do. Um, I'm sure a lot of people felt that way this past year when, you know, being stuck at home. I know a lot of businesses got started this past year, right? It's, it's its own sort of thing. And um, I, I, My coach hired me to design her space and I, in that I was reminded of something I had learned earlier when I worked in high-end residential design. I worked with a lot of entrepreneurs then very successful people Mm -hmm. and they all did more with self-care. And so I started actually creating my space around self-care instead of around business and, it, it worked. Like I used feng shui to get myself into alignment with my space for a specific vision, right? To, to bring my vision to life. Like it, it was like I turned my whole space into this 3d vision board that I got to live in, not just hang on my wall and look at, of, you know, like I want to, I want to, like, for me, it was a yoga practice. I'd always wanted to have a yoga practice And I never really did it. Mm -hmm. But then when I hurt myself and I couldn't get any help from the insurance people or the medical people, um, because of this whole big battle that I went through um, with workman's comp, I sort of had to do it myself, which wasn't new to me. Right. Mm -hmm. I felt like it's always been a, I got to do this myself thing since childhood. Right. Like, I have to save myself. And so I felt like I have to save myself. I'm battling the biggest monster of my life, which is workman's comp insurance and not being able to get help from anyone who tried to help me. Every doctor who tried to help me would get shut out. Um, And so I took it on myself and created this space of, I'm going to align my space with my very specific vision to heal my body. And, and I applied everything I knew, like everything I'd been telling my clients to do and they don't always do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, like you want yeah. your clients to do the work and you tell them to do the work and they don't always do the work. But then, you know, like you got to lead by example too. Like, so it was more like walking my talk and and living, actually applying it and living it myself so I could come out the other side. And 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 that's what I did. And I ended up, getting myself out of a wheelchair and getting all of this clarity around how I could help other women like myself to really create a life that they, that, that they are envisioning Mm -hmm. and, and don't know how to bring it to life, right? How do you make it into reality? How do you live in a 3d vision board is sort of, what happened? Like, how do you turn your whole life into not just being in your head, but into reality? Um, and I sort of realized that's what I was doing. <laughs> mm-hmm. I didn't, like, it was just—it's—it was my life work. Like, it was sort of—you know what I mean? Like, even as yeah. a child, I want to magically figure out how to create the life that I want. That's just been this picture in my head, and then one day I realized, well. Wow, I did it. <laughs> now, how did I do it? Right. And let me show other people how I did it because it worked. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but yeah, it was quite a journey to get there.
0: Well, and you know, now you can look back and see how these traumatic events perseverance to get through them was at many levels throughout your life to get you here. But now it gives you such this, I mean, you're a trauma survivor, not only mentally, but physically because of your, um, you know, you had an injury at work that where basically you couldn't walk. You had these emotional traumas throughout your childhood and, and, you know, early adulthood, if you will, kind of through that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm of the mindset and I actually told somebody else this um, on another podcast because we were talking about psychology and he brought up a great point. So my thing is, would you rather take advice about stopping drinking from somebody who's never touched a drop or from a former alcoholic who's now recovered. And, you know, I've been there brother. Like I've been in that hole. His example was Catholicism, which this one blew my mind because you get marriage counseling from a priest the most celibate. never
1: been married and is not even allowed to be married, right I have another one for you because this is my experience. Um, I get I when I started my own healing journey mm-hmm. the one route that I wouldn't go was therapy and psychiatry because I had an experience as a, as a child when I told, what was happening, when I told about the physical abuse and the mental abuse and the sexual abuse and the religious abuse, when I told, my parents took me to a psychiatrist and told them that I'm a liar and they need I needed to be fixed. And I know this person could not have had any experience with child abuse personally. And it was only one of those type of and you see him a lot in different medical fields. I've seen it a lot with different doctors. This, this God-complex idea mm-hmm. of, I have no experience, but I, I know more than you, so I can fix you. Mm-hmm. My, my parents are that way, and this psychiatrist was that way as well. He believed them. Like, the problem was me, that I was a liar. Um, not that I should be believed about being abused. Mm-hmm. So he had a doctorate. You know, he had a paper education, no real experience.
0: And telling you how you felt.
1: Right. He told me that I was like a wild horse that had been captured and trapped into this corral. And I was standing at the edge, starving to death, staring off at the mountains, wanting my freedom. And if I would just settle down to be broke to saddle, I'd learn how happy horses really are to be owned.
0: Get out.
1: No, that's really what he told me. (laughs) <laughs> that was really what this guy told me when I was nine years old. And and I told him I was being abused. That was his that was his response was that, no, you're just not happy with this new stepdad. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not. And this is why. But you know, there was is, yeah, that was so that was a whole trauma around that thing. So I felt like I really had to do it like on my own. There was no, no one was going to listen. No one was going to hear me. No one was going to help me. Mm -hmm. I was on my own always. Um, At least that's how it felt,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you know? So there's a, yeah, there's a lot of examples. Like those who don't know, teach.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah. And surprisingly how true that really is. You're listening to edited for content separating truth from theater. your situation trying to compare you to a wild horse you know that's just you need that to submit I think there's a whole cult- culture out there right now about women not having to submit and I think they heard something about a movement of some kind I don't know maybe <laughs> I wasn't paying attention but right yeah I think there was a whole a little thing little one feminism yeah. um, it's a little
1: um, tiny thing that yeah, started <laughs> I, think,
0: I think there was this person this Ruth Bader Ginsburg no I'm just kidding um <laughs> but yeah it's um it, it just it kills me because it's like um and and i think for your situation especially during that time frame of when you would have been you know 9 10 society was that was society you know you talked about you know you get a man you get some babies and that's all you need and but that was truly that was the mindset for years
1: but that and that was that was 1980 that was not that long ago that was 1980
0: but it was st- yeah Wait. but it was still the mindset
1: right right the mindset of yeah
0: yeah well no absolutely (laughs) I mean and you know and we I mean we could go down this whole I mean you I'm sure you and I could do a whole couple hours on feminism and talking about how bad that went um and I think it's you know interesting because for a professional, for a child to go to a professional on this, and I think you're 100% right. He obviously didn't have a lot of experience um, other than paper because now, if you had a child go to a professional and say the things that you said, I think that the, the reaction is so much different. Like the child's removed from the situation. It's not?
1: No, it's not. Oh, it's not. Really? The liars are still believed. The liars are still believed. My ch- my sister's children are being molested right now. And I reported it not that long ago. And my mother lied and my sister lied and they're all lying and they're being believed. They're covering up for it. They're repeating the same pattern. Wow, It's, it's the exact same pattern that is being repeated. And there will still be professionals that will believe there will still be people that don't believe, or there still will be people that make the child shut up.
0: That it still floors happens me.
1: all the time.
0: Oh, that floors me. I, I, I wouldn't even believe that. Oh my goodness! Wow.
1: See now that's it's still that's that's. I mean, look at what's going on in the world today. Look at all the sex trafficking and all the pedophile rings and all of the. It's still there. People Mm -hmm. are still, it's still happening. Children are still being victimized. Children are still being abused. People are still covering it up. And the professionals are still not listening.
0: See, that blows me away. That absolutely floors me. And especially with in the cell phone days of technology and pictures. and I mean, because I think back to the 80s, and I have to be dead honest with you, I'm really glad my cell phone didn't have a camera on it. I'm just saying I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying um so it's hard it, wow that's hard I didn't I I guess I just didn't know but I mean it's not a world that I've ever really truly been super exposed to so
1: wow it's this is how generational trauma happens right mm-hmm. the things we learn In our childhood, the things that we are taught, and I'm not talking about your ABCs and your one, two, threes. I'm talking about what is modeled for you by the adults in your life. Mm -hmm. I wasn't the only child in my family. I was not the only one who grew up in that. My story is completely different from everybody else's story in my family. They all went through the same stuff I did, but they all have different stories and different outcomes. We all were modeled. Something, but the stories we tell ourselves about it is different. And what we learn from it is different, right? Mm -hmm. So we all become this version of ourselves that we learned how to be from childhood. Okay. Right. Mine was a conscious choice. I will never be like you. I told that to my mother's face when I was eight years old. I will never be like you. And I was mad, Mm -hmm. right? How dare you choose him over me? I was mad about it. And I was adamant that I would never, ever be. But that's very opposite from most little girls. Mm -hmm. Most little girls want to grow up and be just like their mom. Right? Yeah, yeah. Right? I wanted to be just like my stepmom because that was my next idol. Like I wanted to be just like her. But I spent 80% of my time... Right. I got two months out of the year with my dad and my stepmom. The other 10 months out of the year were with my mother and my stepdad. And I learned how to become a version of myself that I hated when I became an adult. It's why I went back to school. It's why I went on my healing journey. It's why I decided to really take this challenge on and become something else because I hated everything about me and everything about my life.
0: When you say you hated it, what, what do you mean? Like, what did you hate about your life in that early stage?
1: Well, I didn't have any of the dreams that I wanted. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, even after school and I became an interior designer, which I loved, Mm -hmm. you know, I got my first job out of school and, Then the recession hit Mm. and then I moved and I got my next dream job and the recession hit there later, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Because it kind of came in a wave, you know what I mean? And then I start my business and, you know, like it sort of was one failure after another. There was never successes. My relationships were abusive and unhealthy. Mm. And I wasn't happy. I was always looking for what's next. What is going to fix this? Mm. Like, when am I going to be happy with my life? When am I going to have anything that I want? Yeah, I got a man, but I can't stand him. I mean, now my (laughs) life is different. But back then I was like, you know, I, I was in a relationship, literally just for the sake of being in one, I couldn't I couldn't stand my partner. Mm-hmm. I didn't like my job. I didn't like, there was no part of my life that made I mean, my children made me happy, but at the same time, I was mostly a single parent and I had, it was a lot of work. I had a lot of resentments around, not, not to my children, but you know, like just resentments of how hard it was and mm-hmm. how, um, how it wasn't what I envisioned. Right. And, and then when I really started looking at, well, the problem has to be me, right? It's my life. I have to be, the, I mean, I've tried to fix all the things, right? Mm-hmm. I got a better job. I got a better man. I got a better, you know, like mm-hmm. still not happy, still, you know, still a problem, still not right. I'm, I'm still, I still don't admire me. I'm still not proud of me. I'm still, I still don't like me. And so uh, that was the catalyst really that sent me on that deeper journey of, well, I got to fix me. Mm -hmm. It sort of is that, that expression, you know, where they, they, where you talk about, like, if you have all these relationships and they all fail, you sort of got to look at the common denominator is you. Like at some point you realize, I'm the common denominator in all of the shit show. Like it's my shit show and I am the star. (laughs) Like, okay, like I gotta clean it up, right? Like I gotta, I gotta fix it. And so, yeah, I went on that journey because even though I didn't want to become anything like her, there was still all of these beliefs Mm -hmm. that I grew up with that was, that were in there, you know, beliefs around, what I could do or what I was worth or what I deserved and what I could have and what I couldn't and money and it, just all of those things in there that, that we learn as children, not from being taught, but from being modeled.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I became a little bit of both of them and had to fix the parts that were broken and traumatized and put all those pieces back together to create a new version. And that is the version that gets to live the life that I was envisioning. Like in the process, all of a sudden it was like, oh, here it is. Here's what I wanted always. And it, just I just sort of woke up one day and realized it had happened <laughs> like <laughs> well that's the
0: thing it didn't just happen you clawed your way um I did the work yeah you did the work and that's how y- you got there um so which brings me to your company a designed life, design um, life studio design life studio and You know, of course, I want to know kind of what you do for for individuals with that. But more importantly, did the basis of that come from you not having that person or that support structure to kind of help you get to where you needed to be? Because, I mean, a lot of your life was it was a solo mission and it was a solo kind of solo in all regards because you were solo in identifying the problems in your life. You were solo for fixing them. Um, so is that kind of what this is? Like what is your company and, and who have you helped and, and where are we going?
1: Well, I, yeah, it's, <laughs> we all have to do the work for ourselves mm-hmm. is the one thing that I've learned but I didn't do it alone. I did it with a lot of leadership, a lot of guidance, and a lot of mentorship. There was a lot of people out there that when I found them and I searched for them, Mm -hmm. they were willing to teach me what I needed to learn to evolve into this version of me. And that's really what my company does. That is... And that's sort of how I created my method. Um, My method is the designed life method. And it is designing for who you are becoming. So we really look into that. Um, My method is a four, it's a four step method, mind, body, soul, homes. We talk about the mindset piece, right? We talk about the clutter and what that is we declutter it we declutter the mindset i teach you my method um, my five-step method to declutter and so that you can go into um to he- to your healing journey we talk about the self-care piece right and mm-hmm. and making room for who you are becoming we, we talk about making room in your space for who that that woman is that woman that you're envisioning um, and we design for her, not for who you are up till now. I think when I was, when I was working as a designer mm-hmm. in a traditional design firm, what I noticed in that industry is it was all about the designer. It's a look at me. I'm famous. Don't you want my, your house decorated by me? Don't you want your house designed by me? Mm-hmm. Cause I'm the best. And it was not about the client. It was about the client saying, oh, yes, so-and-so designed my space. Oh. And, and I've always saw what they were designing was for the person they are right now. Mm-hmm. It's the person that has accomplished all of these things in the past and has become here. I don't want to design for her. I want to design for the woman in the future who is who I'm becoming, because that is how you turn your space into a 3D vision board to become that person. And so that is how I work with clients. We design their entire space to really operate as a 3D vision board um, in, in life. We, we align them, the feng shui of their space, we align them with their their space, their goal, their vision, and their energy, and design it all right into the space. So that they become her. <laughs> it's sort of designed for who you becoming and it and it just it's how it works. It's how the whole system works. Um, and so that's how my company um, helps to basically teach you how to use Feng Shui mm-hmm. to create peace and prosperity in your life because Feng Shui is just a tool. And so, yeah, that's, that's how we help.
0: So I think it's fascinating because earlier you talked about psychology and like, you know, sociopaths with a cluttered mind. Mm-hmm. And so in many ways, is it kind of a safe assumption then that if people have difficulty in their space and in their now it truly is a mental clutter of things that are blocking them as opposed to maybe the, it's so much, you know, we put a lot on the physical things, but it might actually be more of a mental clutter.
1: A hundred percent. That needs to 100%. be fixed. Yes. Yes. It's why the clutter journey is so important. Um, Because if you don't, dive into the clutter and really look at it and you're just gonna repeat it, right? Mm-hmm. If we go after just just get rid of it and and don't look at it, it's you're just going to repeat the same process. This is how people wind up like hoarders, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of the same thing. You go in and just mass declutter stuff without addressing the actual issue, you're just going to gain it all back and then some. Just like you lose 10 pounds and then you gain back and you gain an extra 10 just to be on the safe side. It's, clutter is the same. Mm-hmm. You've never addressed the the mental and emotional clutter that is also attached to the physical clutter. The physical clutter is just an expression of the, of the mental and emotional.
0: Oh, okay. So it's just a, like a it's like the physical manifestation of the mental issues.
1: Yep, yep, that's exactly what it is. It's exactly what clutter is. But it's also why if we just go in and say throw it all away, it's not going to work because you're just going to gain back 10 extra pounds, right? Because you've never actually addressed it. It's part of why it's so psych- so traumatic. Mm-hmm. Um on like on that show, on the show hoarders when mm-hmm. they declutter, They don't dive into it um, in this way and address it. They are just, we have to get rid of it. It'll make you better, but they don't do the psychology part. And it's so traumatizing for them. It's why it's it's why it's good TV
0: because because we get to watch
1: we get to watch them freak out and have mental breakdowns. And yeah, it's because no one is actually addressing the the mental and emotional trauma that is that the clutter is reflecting that the clutter is a representation of. It's just a, it's just a physical manifestation of what's really going on.
0: Okay. So now I feel like a total schmuck for watching that show because enjoying them, like taking garbage and dead cats that have been buried under garbage for years and stuff out of the room, watching that, not realizing that it's not just as simple as collecting junk, that there is an emotional component that they're not addressing, but for television, I'm going to go in and rip your shit out.
1: It's, it's, I mean, and they bring on experts, but it's not, these are, it, it's, yeah, they do what design, I mean, that's why it's, we have to do it in this time frame. Mm-hmm. You've had, most of those have had years to get to where they are. And it's never been addressed until, oh, now you have a week to move out because your house is being condemned. And so now we're going to throw you on TV and shame you um, Um. and re-traumatize you for the trauma you already have. That show is incredibly traumatizing to the victims that are on it.
0: Oh, I didn't Um, even think about that.
1: Yeah, they're being re-traumatized. They're being shamed nationally for their trauma. It's a horrifying show. It's a horrifying show. Um, I'm actually quite glad that they took it off the air. Um, and I understand that it makes for good TV, but look at the reflection of society from what we watch now. Mm -hmm. We get enjoyment out of that. We get enjoyment out of other people's misery. We get enjoyment out of watching things. That's why we live in the society that we live in now. I think that's, that's my belief. It's why we have so much trouble with, police brutality and why we have to have these movements like me too and black lives matter. Mm. And we should know that. We should know that rape is not okay. And murdering black people is not okay. And attacking Asian people is not okay. But we watch this stuff on TV and it's entertainment for us to watch people be traumatized and victimized. And it becomes a normal part of our life. And so we don't think anything of it when a cop, kneels on a man until he dies
0: Yep, absolutely
1: and and now we have to make laws about this because we as humans don't understand that it's wrong like
0: that blows my mind i will never understand why i have to have a law to tell me i can't kill somebody like that is that is the dumbest thing to me because it's right like you know and and you're absolutely right is in the sense that, and this is why I have trouble, this is why I started this podcast, to be quite honest with you, because I feel that I'm, the days of Walter Cronkite and the days of getting a news that is strictly unbiased that this is what happened, not picking a side, not presenting a side, not showing one angle of a video that doesn't show, and and a snippet that doesn't show the whole thing. Um, Well... Yeah. And, and that
1: hasn't been true since the eighties when wasn't it Reagan that changed the law to say it's okay for the, for them to lie on the news.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And it's, and it's, and now look at us. <laughs> oh, it, well, you no, know,
0: absolutely. And it's amazing it, how many people. It needed
1: don't... to be illegal. It well, needed to be illegal to lie on the news.
0: <laughs> when you started creating and see, I'm, very much in the thought that we're creating this utopian society where popular opinion is actually going to take over in terms of making decisions for the society. And and my example is that if the ratings for these like CNN, Fox, these news channels weren't so high with the garbage they put on there, they wouldn't keep doing it but it's what they want to see. It's like Facebook when Facebook stories and news stories are on Facebook and then they're coming out now and saying, well, some of them weren't true. It didn't stop how many hundreds of thousands or millions of people sharing it and saying, Hey, can you believe this is happening? Um, do you ever watch a tel- there's a television show called the Orville? I don't know if you've ever seen it. So it's a Seth MacFarlane and basically he's doing kind of a comedy version of star Trek is what it is. It's really great and I love it, but they actually have an episode where you wear these little badges and there's a little green up arrow and a little red down arrow. And if you say hi to somebody and they're like, Oh, thank you. They'll push it at your little green up arrow that you did a positive thing. Well, if you get too many downs, then you go in front of a, like a tribunal. And if society decides that you're a horrible human person, they're going to kill you. So yeah.
1: (laughs) That's like the good place. Yes, where nobody could ever get enough points because now everything is we're so in the negative, like sending the flowers to your mom, you get negative points now because of all of the emissions for the truck and all of the, you know, the the slave labor to cut the flowers and grow the flowers and all of the. And so nobody ever can get into the good place anymore because of the negative, like everything's on a cell phone and all of the the negative points that you are ahead very similar. Yeah. Yeah. That's where we live. It's where we (laughs) live.
0: So when you're with a client, have you ever had a situation where during the initial decluttering of their, their mind and their, their kind of their traumatic history, where they have kind of an aha moment that causes them to really kind of emotionally let loose as you're going through that
1: process? A lot. A lot of times. Yes. It, it, it's, it's, it's ideal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's sort of the goal. Um, we want to, I mean, not so much. Yeah. It's part of the process, right? Those are usually the ones that are the problem, right? There's a lot of this clutter that is able to be decluttered, but mm-hmm it's, there's always the pieces that are stuck and that's usually the, the deeper trauma reflections. It's, it's the deeper it's. And so it's, they'll have their breakthroughs. Sometimes they have them with me. Sometimes it'll just be something I say that will, they'll go off and then do the work. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause they're doing the work solo too. Right. Right. I teach them the method and then they go off and do the work and, like I do the design work part but they're doing the decluttering we're doing the the sort of like you and I we're talking about it and we're processing the stuff and yeah that's um then they'll have their breakthrough and come and let me know but always everyone has a breakthrough of some sort
0: and I think it's if, oh go ahead
1: if they don't we're not done working together
0: oh yeah okay so and I think that that's you, the you, one thing you keep bringing up which i think is amazing is i'm i'm gonna give you the toolbox but you're gonna build it
1: mhm I don't want them to be dependent on me mm-hmm. we we need grown independent self sufficient adults mm-hmm. most of us are still acting out of our child trauma and so we're like it's they don't need to need me to help them all like that's I can't do the work for them. So yeah, my goal is to give them the tools so that they are able to, because we all have different layers too, right? Where I am on my healing journey is way different than like where you are or where the next person is. And so we can't be in that place together. I didn't live your experience. Um, I can't go there with you. I can give you a map. Mm-hmm. And show you how to get there, but it's a journey that you have to take on your own. Like birth and death, healing is a journey that you can only do on your own.
0: Oh, that's great! I like that. That's very true. Have you had any clients that they just they just couldn't get with the program? Like they just couldn't, for whatever reason it may be. Be it um, they weren't ready. They weren't, you know, um, they just kept going back to the same pattern, whatever the case may be. Has there ever been a, a situation with a client where you're like, <laughs> I, I, I don't know what to say? You know what I mean?
1: All of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she they, goes, they're that's all difficult. Why they, why, no, not that they're all difficult. Mm-hmm. But that's why they all come. Right. Because I talk about this a lot fake it till you make it versus fake it, face it till you make it. What they are facing is hard stuff. Mm-hmm. They are big things. Sometimes they're looking at stuff like my own, right? Trauma. Sometimes they're looking at what are they having to declutter? What mm-hmm. do they have to let go of, right? It's hard work. And so sometimes they need to, go away and come back. sometimes they need to have space. we need to make room for our healing mm-hmm. journey and and that's a big part of what I do that's that's all of what I do. We make room for that but sometimes that means energetic space as much as physical space and emotional and mental space. so yeah it's I find it's it's quite true for them to, when it gets to the hard part it's Mm -hmm. quite common that that's where they will ghost and disappear for a bit and then come back in um and it's a normal part of the process um at first it used to really upset me i felt like i did something wrong like it was my fault and i had i had to work through some of that that was some of my own trauma like what was i doing wrong Mm well how is this my? and then i realized the pattern And, and it was, it's, it's just, that's the pattern. I did it too. It's, it's part of the, you go in and you come back up. It's, it's, it's like swimming, right? Like whales, they go down and they come up for air and then they go down again and they come up for air and they go down again. It's the same Healing is that sort of a process.
0: I have to tell you, I'm really glad you went with whales because I swear if you were going to do Dory and start going, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, (laughs) I was like, no, I'm no, now I got to stop you because now I'm no, 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 don't do that. But you're right. Yeah, they
1: have to come back for the for the breath Mm -hmm. and 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 sometimes I feel like and that's when they come back. Like, okay, I'm I'm drowning in it again. Like, give me give me a different perspective, give me a fresh eye, give me a different way to see this. And, and, and then I can breathe again.
0: Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. So you've had great successes, obviously. um, Which great for you. Um, I think it's amazing that, like I said, that you went from where you're at to what you're now doing and the help that you're providing. Um, So I've got to ask, what's the next evolution? What, where, where we go from here?
1: Um, <laughs> for me, I think the next evolution, I'm, I, I, I love the work that I do. I love working with clients. I, I definitely want to do that on a bigger scale. I, the next evolution for me is, um, I'm working on a keynote speech. I want to, I'll be speaking on stage. Um, and probably writing a book <laughs> is, is the next, is the next big thing. So.
0: Oh, wow. So are you I talking like Ted talk? Yeah. Nice, mm-hmm. I I love TED talks.
1: <laughs> yep, that's the that's the goal. So I'm I'm secretly working on a keynote speech right now. So, so nobody tell don't, anybody, tell anybody. Don't, don't tell anybody don't <laughs> tell nobody say
0: nothing to. So when you share this podcast, please don't tell anybody
1: that um,
0: Crystal Home is working on a top secret keynote speech. Okay, so that's shh, that's hush hush. Yes. Um, <laughs> that's exactly. awesome. Um, yes. well, no, and that's great. And I think that, um, I think that your message and I think what you're doing is something that needs to, to get out there and to help a lot of people that probably don't one know that they need the help and two don't truly understand, you know, it's kind of like I keep, when we were talking, the one thing I keep thinking about when I was younger Was every time I had a bad breakup, I would either shave my head or dye my hair. As a change, if you will.
1: Mm -hmm. I sell my bedroom pet.
0: I sell my bedroom.
1: Actually, that's kind
0: of (laughs) smart for a lot of reasons, but we're not we won't go down that road right now. We that's a different day. Um but that exactly. It's like you have this massive change. Not realizing that you're, you know, that there was more cl- decluttering that I needed to do emotionally as opposed to a physical change. Um, and I think there's a lot of people out there that would benefit from that knowledge. Um, Crystal, where do we find you? How do we get a hold of you? How do, how do the people who listen to this seek you out?
1: Um, I am all over online. Um, you can certainly find me on social media and on my website, um if you know that you're interested in working with me, you can work with me at peaceandprosperityalignment.com. You can book a book a consultation call. And I do have a free download that is the, probably the best place for people to get started with their own clutter. Um I mentioned the declutter your mindset method. That is my method for decluttering your space. And it's a five-step method, simply called "Declutter Your Mindset," (laughs) and you can download it at (laughs) declutteryourmindset.com.
0: I like it. No, no, I hate simplicity. I like simplicity. That's great. So this is literally what it's called, and it's where it's at.
1: (laughs) So yes, you can um, you can download that, and it will get you started with the decluttering process and what those steps are. To be able to dig into the mental and emotional part of the physical clutter,
0: Crystal, you have been an absolute joy, and I want to thank you so much for doing this for me. Um, I wish you nothing but the greatest level of success moving forward. I look forward to seeing you on many platforms. Um, Yeah, well, no, (laughs) don't destroy your house over it. No, it's not that much. Um, But thank you so much.
1: Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here, Earl.
0: You've been listening to the edited for content podcast. Again, if you enjoyed it, let me know, share it and come back again. Thanks for listening, my friend. Have a great day.